This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. This is the Mark Madden Unfiltered Podcast from the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Mark Madden Podcast on the Brett Rivers Podcast Network. The words to live by, the motto that I swear by, bet now from anywhere. Uh, My co-host for this edition is Tim Benz. Tim, we're going to talk about Tom Barrasso making the Hockey Hall of Fame, uh, which means a lot of the voters finally forgot he's a douchebag. It, It took him 17 years of eligibility to get in. I think he's worthy as a player, but uh, 17 years is a long time, and it says something, doesn't it? Have they cycled in people, I wonder, that didn't associate with him and get used to his douchebaggery or exposed to his douchebaggery? Or or maybe they figured, given that three goalies are in this year, that it was time to put more goalies in. There's always been a bit of a shortage in that regard for modern-era goalies in the Hockey Hall of Fame, and they, they put in three this year with Lundquist and Mike Vernon and Tom Barrasso. Mike Vernon doing Tom Barrasso a favor because Tom Barrasso clearly better than him. I was just about to say, if there's any sort of debate over the threshold of should Barrasso get in based on his merits, I think Vernon getting in, to your point, expedited any thought that Barrasso shouldn't get in, expedited any votes towards him getting in. Like It just put it into perspective. It shined a light on his stats versus another guy's in the same year. And then you would have to marginalize your own vote and say, okay, I'm not putting this guy in based on personality only if I am voting for Vernon. Well, I don't know if it was personality only with Barrasso. I just think it was a matter of, okay, his stats are kind of borderline because his stats weren't great. And they certainly didn't change in the last 17 years. But he had the Vezina. He finished top three in Vezina voting five times. He made the postseason all-star team three times. He won the two Stanley Cups. He won a Calder Trophy as Rookie of the Year when he was with Buffalo. So I, I think maybe, you know, in the haste to put more goalies in, maybe they finally looked at his resume more than they did his personality. And the era in the team on which he played. Well, right. His stats were never going to be good. I mean, his save percentage career is .892, which ain't good. But then again, smaller equipment – a higher-octane error for scoring, especially in the salad days of his career. And uh, when he was in his prime, it was quite a prime. He played extremely well. And I'm big on considering a guy's prime. Longevity has something to do with it, but you have a really accomplished prime, and it's a relatively long one like Barrasso's was. I mean, his tenure with Pittsburgh and Buffalo was really good. He just kind of let his stats slide when he bounced around from team to team after that. Plus, you've got the factor in of playing with the Penguins at that time, a Penguin team that liked to play open, a Penguin team that would expose its goaltender at times. Oh, Uh, the Penguins back then, 
didn't play defense till the playoffs. They wanted their points. They wanted their stats. And that impacts a goalie. It's akin to a home. And, and Tommy actually handled that part of it well. He understood that his job was to win, period. And if it was 6-5 because of his team's defensive shortcomings, then so be it. Let's win 6-5. And I think a goalie playing on a team like that in an era like that is akin to a home run hitter playing in a huge park or you know, a goal scorer playing on a more defensive team. I think that's part of the reason why you know, when Eliash is up for consideration, that always comes up. He was a scorer who played for the Devils. You know, so you got to take that into consideration. I think he was a ham and egg. Uh, you know, guys like him and Brenda Moore, I think they should be in the Hall of Very Good. The only guy oh, I'm not who- saying he should get in. I'm just saying that part of the reason why he's even discussed is you look at his stats and suggest they're better because he played on a, the Devil team that he played for. Yeah, I, I just think the only guy that, that could have made it this year, in addition to who did, was Alexander McGilney who scored a lot of goals and was an electrifying player. And I think he will get in at some point. Now That one's still a mystery to me. On, on the flip, Well, people are talking about a conspiracy to keep Russians out because of the you know current war with the Ukraine. But, but uh, McGillney defected from Russia <laughs> you know, at, at a time when it wasn't you know Russia now. It was the Soviet Union, the Iron Curtain then, which was quite a risk to take. So I, I wouldn't think the current conflict... Uh, with the Ukraine would weigh against him now. Plus, uh, if it's five years from now, Mark, and the conflict is still going on, what are they going to do? Not f- put Ovechkin or Malkin in after they retire? Ten maybe, years, I guess you should say not five. Maybe to 10. I, I don't know. I mean, it's it, 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 Hall of Fames have become just so so agendaized, if that's a word that uh, I, I don't trust them. I I never really have. Now, on the flip side, on the personality side, all I did on my radio show. Um, Wednesday was tell stories that made Barassa look like an ass because you never run out of them. I mean, you know, when I try to explain, I mean, you had to have met him, Tim. Did you deal with him at all? No, I had two media interactions with him, like, in the last months of his career, and it was just in a group setting. Career in Pittsburgh or with other teams? In Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. He was just a horrible person. And unless you interacted with him, you know, the tendency is to think, oh, you're just, you know, being hard on the guy or you didn't personally like him, and I didn't personally like him, but I'll give you an example. 1996, conference finals. I told this story on my show. Uh, they're playing Florida. Game seven at Pittsburgh. If they win, they go to the Stanley Cup final against Colorado. Penguins are dying a goal. Barrasso lets in a goal by Tom Fitzgerald, now New Jersey's GM, mm-hmm. from behind the blue line. Just right. an awful goal. Way worse than the Volick goal. Right, right. There was discernible laughter throughout the press box. You got a bunch of people, and I don't care what anybody says, people who cover the Penguins, most of them especially then grew up as Penguins fans, and they they want to be objective, but they would rather they win. And they'd rather be able to cover the Stanley Cup Finals. Than not. But Barrasso let in this crucial bad goal, and the press box had discernible laughter. And that tells you all you need to know about what everybody thought of him. And his teammates weren't crazy about him either. Phil Bork on my show told a story. He went down to see Barrasso when he was the Carolina goaltender coach. And uh, Barassa just brushed right by him, barely acknowledged him, just went in the Carolina locker room. And Bork was a guy who played four years with Barrasso and won two Stanley Cups with him. Was that universal within the locker room? Because you're hearing now that he's getting inducted, other players being more diplomatic than that. Does Borky have a unique view, or were there, to your experience? I think if anybody is is having a different viewpoint now, it's because they've had time to compose themselves and think what would sound best to say now that he's made the Hall of Fame. And, and to be to be fair, like 
Barrasso had a good relationship with the stars on the Penguins because uh, he considered them at his level. It was the below the line guys that he treated like crap. Uh, was he really tough on the backup goalies too? He was just tough on everybody. Like I had, here's a story I didn't I didn't write in my trip. I say backup. I shouldn't say backup like Ken Reggett. I know he wasn't really tough on Ken Reggett, but um, like the younger guys, especially he was tough on JSO Ban. I I have a story about that in my column. But one story I didn't get in. I want to tell. The Penguins had a a rookie named Dave Roach. I think it was back in I remember him. Ninety five, ninety six, somewhere in there. And I, I, you know, Roach did a guest column every week for Penguins Report, the publication I worked for for a couple of years. Like, you know, he'd, he'd talk to me and I'd transcribe it into a column of sorts. So one time I was, you know, talking badly about Barrasso in front of Roach. You know, after an interaction, he said, hey, he's my teammate. Don't talk about him like that in front of me. And he got pretty hot, okay? And then two weeks later, Roach came over and said, hey, uh, I'm sorry I put you on the spot there. He's an idiot. You know, it took him a couple <laughs> weeks to get that, you know. But, but yeah, I mean, and I know a lot of the stars on the Penguins spend a lot of time, like, in public settings apologizing for Barrasso's behavior. He's just a bore. And that was something that permeated from the time he got here via Buffalo, or did that manifest I think that's something there? that probably permeated from the time he jumped out of the womb. <laughs> Now, now, that said, he does deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. His resume dictates. He has a better resume than Lundquist, although nobody would want to say that out loud. And I did not realize that Barrasso has more career points than any NHL goalie. Uh, 48 points, all of them assist. To me, he's the best puck handler ever. Better than Brodeur. I was going to say, Hextall. better than Brodeur, really? Yeah, yeah. Barrasso used the boards better. That might sound like something subtle, but he would throw these geometry passes out of the zone off the boards that would find somebody. And you couldn't play dump and chase against the Penguins because he'd just get the puck and pass it back up. Do you, it, it saved his defenseman countless steps. Do you miss that, or do you prefer that was back in hockey? Well, I... Wait, I I'm sorry, I should say, do you miss that, or do you prefer that, it's, that it stays out of hockey? You mean with the rules? With yeah, the, the trapezoid. With the trapezoid. I prefer it like this because it got ridiculous. It was one thing when two or three guys could do it, but then everybody did it. It, it just... It just I didn't like well, it. Well, especially after Brodeur made it such a standard. It, it took away the forecheck. You couldn't forecheck anymore. Now, uh, Barrasso made big saves, but he let in bad goals too. Volick in 93, Fitzgerald in 96, like we just talked about. Barrasso could win big games and blow big games. He won more big games, but he did blow some too. For sure. Those are the two big examples that come to mind. The big games that he won, I always look back at the Blackhawks series, even though there were some gong show games in there, but he had the shutout in the final, the one one of those games. Um, I thought he was maybe not Con Smythe worthy because of Mario, but I thought he was in the conversation based on how he played in some of those crucial games in 92. Oh, he could have easily won the Con Smythe in 92. I'm glad he didn't. I'm glad Mario did. And, and you can't go wrong giving a Con Smythe to Mario Lemieux with the way he played, coming back from the broken hand, too. But, um, but yeah, Barra- Francis was in the conversation too because of the way he played against the Rangers after Mario got slashed. Yeah, but- I, I thought it was Don Barrasso or Lemieux, but I'm I'm glad Mario won it. Uh, but Barrasso was a good big game goalie most of the time. And you look at the stats to your earlier part of the conversation; they just don't translate now into oh my gosh, that would have been a Con Smythe goalie, but. Especially playing against the Blackhawks, and especially with the tone of the series, it was make one more big save than the other guy. 
Well, I'll give an example. The first game of the series, you know, when Mario scored late to win after the big comeback. He almost let one in. What? Barrasso in that game. Well, almost don't count. No, I, I know, but. But but they were down 5-2, to two and he really stiffened. You know, mm. you know what I mean? Like, he could put five goals behind him. And just say, okay, if I don't let in any more, we might win. Oh, and the played, Penguins yeah, I know what you're talking about. often he, did. He played like great middle relief yeah. in that game. And he allowed them he to catch up. He was his own back. middle relief. Yeah, he, they allowed that allowed the Penguins to catch up in that game and eventually have the great comeback. But I remember going back and watching that game. There was one that got right through him. I, don't, I think it went off the post after it got through him. And it was one of those kind of heart palpitation moments. Like, oh, no, they're going to win this game. Nope, it's going to go to overtime. And then somehow they managed to hold on to the closing seconds. Who had a better career, Barrasso or Marc-Andre Fleury? Because Fleury is a definite Hall of Famer. Yes. Um, I think the fact that... I, I don't think we could take out of the equation what Fleury did when he went to Vegas, to put that into perspective. Oh, no, I, I wouldn't want to. Yeah, I, th- I think what he did with the expansion Vegas Golden Knights... Well, also, career wins, too. I mean, there's no denying his career wins. He's going to... Is he third yet? He's going to be at least third by the time he quits. Yeah, I think Flurry had a better career. Um, you know, I think if you put Barrasso in this era and he played goal the way most goalies do, he might have netted a better career if you could put him in a time machine and move him forward. But I just think if I could, on- I'd put him in a time machine and move him to like a hundred years ago, <laughs> so I never would have had to meet him. Um, I think just based on what we have to look at now, Flurry by a nose. Um, who will be the next Penguin to make the Hall of Fame? You know what's funny, by the way? The Penguins can't cash in on this at all. They can't have Tom Barassa Hall of Fame night because he just won't show up. No, he'll probably just hang out in Italy and coach his Italian team and pretend that it never happened. I, uh, well, did you see that the number they had for him was dead in the Hall of Fame committee? Oh, okay. And, and he found out secondhand, but he refused to believe it until he heard from the Hall of Fame committee, which if I were him, I would too. But uh, Who was the Hall of Fame committee member that tracked him down? Was it Pierre eventually? No, I, I, I think Lanny McDonald's the guy who makes the calls. Oh, okay, all right. But yeah, but but he he didn't believe it. Like I said, you know, I, oh, would that it would have been a practical joke. So do you know my Parasso story? Did I tell you this from even just a couple yeah. weeks ago when I did the '93 uh, flashback piece, the anniversary of 1993. Of course, wanted to talk to Barrasso, and he's uh, a coach over in Italy, and it's their off season. They recently wrapped up, and um, what I did was to try to make sure that my emails got through and read by the right people, I Google translated them. So I wrote my email. I put it in Google Translate. I had somebody who knew Italian, somebody who knew Czech, you know, look at the various emails and tell me if it checked out all right. And they said it did. So I sent my request through the team media relations person in Italy, in Italian, and he sends me back this nice note, this long note that said, it means so much that you took the time to write in Italian. Most American journalists wouldn't do that. It means a lot that you did this. Coach Barrasso doesn't talk to the American media. <laughs> that, 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 um, absolutely. That response Ciao. does not surprise me <laughs> at all. Bo Bennett was joking on, on Twitter he was going to make a comeback. I said, go to Italy and play for Barrasso. Um, that was the end of that conversation, huh? Who will be the next Penguin to make the Hall of Fame? Like I said, the Penguins can't cash in on Tom Barrasso Hall of Fame night. You know, he never came back for any of the, uh, you know, Mellon Arena closing. You know, they had nights for that from different eras. Guys came back. Never came back for any of the Stanley Cup reunions. Uh, so who do you think can make it next? There's nobody really in the bridge, is there, between... Was Yager in? Uh, well, no, no, but he's got to retire. He's got to retire first, right, yeah. from all of professional hockey, they, right? They should just say, listen, he's not coming back to the NHL. He's, you know, yeah. 50-something. He's in. I, I think Gaunch could make it. 
I'm not outraged that he doesn't and won't be if he doesn't ever, but he could make it. He was, um, do we know how many points out he finished? No idea. He was such an elite power play guy. I mean, the funny thing about Gonch's career here is remember how badly it started that first year coming out of the lockout? Well, they just signed a bunch of guys because they had drafted Sid, like him and Ziggy Palfy. Yeah. And and they thought they'd be pretty good, and I thought they'd be better than they finished up. I thought they might make the playoffs, but, you know, it it wasn't long until things got cooking. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody else in those bridge years that qualifies except for him. He's probably as close as you could get. And then he, But he was on the 9 team, so there's nobody else in between that I think. How about the 90-91 team now has— Oh, what about like Kovalev? I don't think Kovalev's good. I mean, he might. He I'm might. I'm trying to think of those like those teams. He's not really been much in the conversation, though. It's not like Kobe Lang or Straka is going to get in or anything They'll go like in as a line. Because yeah, <laughs> we always used to say, bring those guys back. Mario made a joke about that. One they did said, bring Kovalev back. Yeah, and then and then, and then uh, was that Tampa game where he was Mark Letestu played instead of him when yeah. they were trying to tie it late. Um, uh, you know now there's eight players from the ninety ninety one team in the Hall of Fame. Yager obviously is going to make us. There's nine: Craig Patrick, GM; uh, Badger as coach; uh, Scotty, Scotty Bowman as yeah. scout. Then. So, but when you look at the nine players, including Yags, that's half the roster. That's pretty amazing. It is, and it's. Uh, I think percentage-wise, you know, you look at all the Steelers that got in for the Steelers of the seventies. Um, it's definitely on the same level of that. And I think if you look at the level of dominance of those guys, and where those guys, a lot of them were really good in other places too. But they are still often associated. Oh, yeah, Larry Murphy, Mark uh, Recchi, Mullen, Mullen. I mean, Cockett. Koff had his best years yeah. before he got to Pittsburgh. You no, know, Coffee is no talk wasn't on that team. Oh, he was 92. Sorry. 91, was, 92, yeah, correct. He was 92. Um, but I was, I was just But thinking, they traded two Hall of Famers to get him. That's right. Coffee and Recky. That's right. How often that never happens anymore. You never see a, a hockey trade like that very, anymore. Very, very rarely. Like, uh, what was the last big one that was like that? Subban? Where they were like multiple all I'm just saying, yeah, Hall let's, of Famer, let's but, throw PK Subban in there. I'm not with, talking about Hall of Famers. With names like Recky, Coffee, and Talkin'. He at least made an all star team or two. Um, Tim, I, we we talked on Tuesday's podcast about the best sports movie since 2000. Uh, did you know, I found out since there, looks like there's going to be a Dodgeball 2. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. And it's going to be still centrally located around the gym. It's still going to be about the gym, but it's not clear which other characters are coming back. It's not sure if the um, same thread of characters aside from Vince Vaughn's is going to be in there. I don't know what other cast members right, are Right, because back. it's tough to not just make the same movie. I mean, to not just have this conflict with, with the big dodgeball match at the end. And there has to be a dodgeball it's match, otherwise be, yes. it couldn't be dodgeball too. I think you got to do it sort of like uh, the last season of Brockmire, where there's some sort of post-apocalyptic vibe and dodgeball has risen to the level of like the NFL and is now on the descent and has commissioner of the dodgeball league of america of dodgeball leagues or however they want to call it vince vaughn has to come in and save it well justin long wants to be in and i'm not surprised because i mean what's he been in yeah for like the longest time what about um marcia brady cindy taylor what's she what's she doing is she still married to ben stiller i don't think they're married anymore and i don't know if that's going to come into play plus you got does white get involved ben stiller's well, well ben stiller has said he doesn't like to do sequels but he, then again, he did three Meet the Parents. I was just about to say, he did Meet the Parents, Meet the and, Falkers. Did he and, do a Zoolander, too? I think there was a Zoolander, Years too. later, right? Yeah, I'd have to check on that one. So, I mean, Paul... Maybe that's why he doesn't like to do them, because they weren't good. Paul Newman always hated to do sequels, but um, Color of Money 
was strictly speaking a sequel to The Hustler. You yeah. know, decades later, no relation to the original storyline, just Fast Eddie Felson. Now, um, there was a Zoolander too. Oh, and it was awful. So was Zoolander Tw- one, twenty sixteen. Did you like the original Zoolander? I thought it was okay. I mean, it's kind of like a one trick pony, and you know, I, I didn't last the full yeah, two hours I, I or didn't whatever. Like, well, you know what it reminded me of, even though it wasn't a Saturday Night Live skit. It reminded me of a Saturday Night Live skit made into a movie. Well, they got they have lots of those. Yeah, but but they all seem like very stretched and forced. Um, now, Tim, uh, after the popularity of dodgeball, are you surprised that dodgeball never caught on as a sport? I thought we'd really see like dodgeball leagues we, and get it on TV. Pittsburgh Sports League. I think they've still got the dodgeball league. Remember James Harrison played in it a couple times. I don't, but I'm sure that just, went about like I expect. He showed up and played. They played it at the. Um, I think it's a, there's a gym at the school for the deaf in Shadyside, right across from the hockey rink for the armory. That's where they used to play it. Well, uh, again, it never got on TV. Like you know, like like now pickleball's on TV. Well, they uh, took ESPN and the on Ocho TV. and turned it into a gimmick, but it doesn't have much dodgeball in it. If there's any dodgeball at all, they have that weekend. Yeah, but pickleball and and. Uh... Cornhole are on all the time. Yeah, darts. They're on. Is darts on? Dar- I think darts is actually on FS1. Yeah. There, there's something called um, spike ball. Spike ball. Yeah. What What is that exactly? That's a college game. It's a college like a. a it's normally a college drinking game, but these guys try like the SEC has a co- as a college spike ball league, and I've yeah. seen it when they do the ESPN eight the Ocho weekend. Like you'll see the University of Georgia versus Kentucky for the spike ball championships. Did did you know that the original ending to dodgeball had average Joe's losing? I did not know that. Yeah, I'm not sure what the fallout would have been if he loses the gym, if you know, White Goodman reigns triumphant. Did you know the original ending for the natural? Well, certainly in the novel is that Roy Hobbs strikes out. Yes, yeah, I did know that. And in the it novel took he took the is, money. He took the money, right? Ma- no, 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 he didn't. He refused the money in the book. But Max Mercy, you know, the uh, Oh, that's what it was. It was the writer, uh, Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall's character, he publishes a story that the game was fixed and Hobbs threw it anyway. That's right. It was perceived that he took the money. That was the ending. Well, in that vein, let me do my top three list, Tim. Here's my top three sports that shouldn't be on TV and are all the time. It's pretty straightforward. Number one, pickleball. Pirates. Number two, cornhole. Number three, the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. Uh, have you played pickleball or cornhole? I've never played pickleball. I've played cornhole, yeah, just at like a backyard party or tailgate. Sure. Well, it, it, it's the safer horseshoes. It's the more easily transported horseshoes, too. Yeah. You don't have to hammer an iron stake in the ground and carry around these these big heavy metal objects. You do have to carry a table with you, but they yeah, have those no now that are, that are fold out. Plus, if you get into a dispute over a match of cornhole, you're not going to beat somebody to death with a little beanbag. You right. have the iron horseshoes, and those can become weapons. Well, if pickleball had been around when I was in my 20s and 30s, I'd have definitely played. I Believe it or not, I played tennis. Pickleball is tennis without the running. Badminton is something else that's on that ESPN eight the Ocho thing that they do. Uh, badminton that 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 offends me. That's just lawn darts. No, that's good because you could always impale somebody. <laughs> there was the, the brand name way back when was Jarts. Jarts, yeah, jarts. I remember Jarts and laser tag. The problem with laser tag outside was you always got zapped by the sun. Did you ever play like? Did you get like home laser tag? Like, no, around? no, no, God, no. Oh, we got when we were eleven. We all got like laser tag for Christmas. We ran around the neighborhood. But the problem was, if the sun came and hit you, you just, you died. You blew up because you were just standing in the sun 
and you didn't get shot. That's all I need to know about about laser <laughs> tag, Tim. Photon. Uh, I think but, it was photon. But, but, that but we I played. but I hate badminton. You know, I consider pickleball to be sissy tennis, and badminton is sissy pickleball. It is funny to see like the tennis courts packed now, and no one playing tennis. It's always pickleball. Now, Tim, uh, getting back to hockey, I propose some rules changes for hockey to call my rent. Let me bounce a few off you. Uh, eliminate the shootout. Eliminate three on three overtime. Play 10 minutes of four-on-four, which is more like hockey, actual hockey than three-on-three. If it's still a tie, then it's a tie. I don't have a problem with breaking ties. I prefer ties being broken. Shootout's too carny, though. Especially now, they should put a clock on it. Because, guys, that stuff where they slow down and go in like an inch at a time, to what end, I do not know. That sucks. It also sucks, though, that they've taken three-on-three and turned it into that. Well, they, that, they need to adopt the the three ice rules for three-on-three. Yeah, the no but, take but, but some, but but the no take backs. If you do an over and back, you you possess the puck and carry it back beyond the red line in three ice. You turn the puck over. What would you do in the NHL? Because they don't do that. They would have to have a face-off, and they don't need more face-offs. And in a face-off, the team that commits the infraction can still win it. Well, can't it just be? You could treat it like an icing, just take the puck down to the other end. You know, if, if your team is the one that violates going back beyond the red line, then the other team gets the puck well, and takes it down. This discussion proves that coaching is the enemy of sports. Because when three-on-three came out, nobody knew how to strategize it. It was entertaining. It was attack, attack, attack. And now it's not. The issue that I've got with ties and longer like 10 minute four on four and regulation is kind of the same thing though don't you think we go back to the days like we saw before where everybody would just be con- just be fine settling with a tie uh no hey we got out of here with a point that's a good no no point. no because here's my other proposal give three points for a regulation win two points for an overtime win one point for an overtime loss or tie so, so put- there would be no reason in fact quite the opposite to sit on a tie in overtime Okay, I mean that I would prefer that better to than what we've seen, and I do think I do get a little maddened by the loser point, you know, and I think that kind of, for instance, the Penguins this year, if you look at what their point total was, the percentage of points versus them finishing technically under five hundred, you know, the whole joke about Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season. Well, Mike Sullivan just had a losing season because he lost more games he lost than he more, won. Yeah, no right, question, exactly. no question about that. Um, make nets an inch wider and an inch taller. Make goaltending equipment smaller. I'm more about. The goaltending equipment being smaller. Yeah, but you can fudge the goaltending equipment. Like, you know, you flatten it out after it's measured. I mean, that's what guys do now. Mm-hmm. There is a limit now, but they just, they like push it together. Does that make any sense? Yeah, sure. And then they flatten it out after it's inspected. How come we haven't had a controversy like that like we had with Deflategate? Because nobody cares. <laughs> uh, it, and it, my Nets thing is genius, by the way, because you know what I would have done? I would have done it without telling anybody. Because you wouldn't notice. You just wouldn't notice, Tim. Am I right? you saying uh, how much an inch taller? An inch taller, inch wider. Inch wider. And that doesn't sound like much. You know what that does? Every shot that hits the post goes in. Yeah. And how many pipe shots do you get per game? Like four or five? So These are very precise shooters. Just giving them a little bit more to work with would... Would pay off. Um, it would also mess around with the goalies' heads too, for at least the first couple years. Well, you know, one, like, it, oh my god, I got to cover up, and then they make mistakes on the other side. If you kept it a secret, one of the goalies would figure it out because they're pretty precise as well. Now, I would make fighting and headshots an automatic ejection. I have no problem with the uh, fighting part of it. I think fighting is orchestrated, and it's the only sport that uh, 
endorses it, to be quite honest with you. So, Except actual, like, boxing, yeah. UFC, etc. Team sport, the only team sport. And uh, the headshots, I disagree with in the sense that it's so borderline right now what is or isn't, and we see that adjudicated well, right, so Well, right, but here's, here's the thing. If you make it an ejection automatically, but no, no definite suspension, you just review it, then the worst that happens is there's a bad call and a guy gets thrown out of one game. And the the good about it is guys would go out of their way to avoid headshots at that point, to anything resembling a headshot. What about like the Kachuk play in the finals where Eichel stumbled and fell into him and it looked way worse than what it was? I just think that the officials yeah, That's now- an ejection, but tough luck. I mean, for, for the amount of great good that would be gained, you'd have to live with stuff like that. I think they feel like they've done that already and they're still in a quagmire. They haven't done that already. They might think they have, and that's always the problem with hockey team. They think they've solved problems, but they've usually just exacerbated them. I'm dubious of your hope that this would resonate with the players to the degree that you're suggesting when I still see crap like what Peter Angelo did in the uh, in the playoffs. You know, it, it doesn't translate. Like, being afraid of headshots doesn't translate into taking a full-on whack with a stick. Well, Peter Angelo did get suspended. Yeah, I know. Just not long enough. Yeah, and that goes back to the decision makers. Now, here's another genius idea on my part, Tim. Because I thought this year's NHL playoffs were awful. I thought the first round was pretty good, albeit a little bit dirty. The hockey just went to hell after that. The final was the worst, as indicated by a 43% drop. Oh, the ratings were terrible. Yeah, in, in TV ratings. I would have 10 teams in each conference make the playoffs. And then I would do the NBA-style play-in for seeds 7 through 10 in each conference. Single game, no best of, make it exciting. Okay, I feel like that goes on interminably in the NBA. I think you see some lousy teams get in. My, my bigger concern is hockey is more likely to have a really lesser team because of the hot goaltender factor sneak in and, and do damage. Tim, they have so many layers of playoffs now. To, to presume the best team wins is absurd. Going to a play-in with two extra teams each conference, it wouldn't be any worse in that regard. Believe me. Look at this year. Florida was was a, a lousy team that got hot and made the final. So you, what you're calling for is almost what they did in the bubble then when they had the miniseries, the two out of three. Yeah, yeah, almost. I mean, it, well, Tim, if, if, if I, you know, if you let it totally up to me, I'd cut the schedule to 72 well, games. Well, I was just about to say, like when you brought that up, my thing was – I know it's the biggest revenue-generated sport based on gate that there is of the four majors, but, man, does this sport need 10 less regular season games. Of course it does. That's just not going to happen. You know, that that sport needs Tim, to— Tim, if, if we're up to me, I'd make the first round of the playoffs best of three. It needs to start about two or three weeks later. It needs to end about two or three weeks later. It needs to be a winter sport again. But then again, when you're in Vegas and Tampa and Miami, yeah. you know, what's the I guess difference? you don't care, right? Yeah. Tim, before we wrap up, uh, Clark Hagan's passed away. Was a starter on the Steelers team that won Super Bowl XL. Played with the team from 2000 through 07. Had 13 years total in the league. 46 years old. That that was shocking to me. That's very young. And uh, by all accounts, he was a pretty good guy. Fun guy. Everybody liked having him on the team. He was one of those guys where I always looked at him and said, you know what, I think they can do better at that other outside linebacker position. And they went out and got Lamar Woodley, who was a better individual player. But... They won a lot with Clark Hagens there. I thought he was consistent. You, you can get you can get better guys, more talented guys that don't help a team as much. He was a Phil Bork, Troy Loney type in football terms. Um, he was 
you, you could rank all those players on defense and you probably would have gotten through nine or ten guys before you got to him in terms of his impact or his perceived impact. But he was steady. Um, he did a good job of pinning in the quarterback for not getting out and letting Porter get to him on the other side. Uh, he was good enough against the run. He provided enough pass pressure. Uh, he didn't cost a lot. Um, you know, he's just he was a good fit for what they needed. And it's rare that you think about the outside linebackers in the 3-4 and you think of guys who aren't stars that did the job, but he was one. Forgive this comparison, but when, when Clark Hagans passed away, uh, you saw a lot of ex-Steelers go on Twitter, social media, you know, other forms of expression to, to lend their condolences, right? I mean, a lot of them. Tom Barrasso, I've yet to see one guy who played with him offer congratulations. Is that right? Nobody. I haven't well, seen any. Then again, you don't see a lot of hockey players from the 90s on Twitter all that much anymore. Yeah, but I think you would see some quoted in different places, and it's been over 24 hours. That's true. I mean, I don't know how many how many of them jumped on podcasts or anything like then that. Then again, but... Tim, none of us wretched media are trying to seek them out to say things <laughs> praiseworthy of Barrasso. Let, let me tell you, this column I wrote is one of the most vicious things I've ever written, and I would be ashamed of it and wouldn't have written it if it was about anybody else. <laughs> okay, but this is Reap giving this is giving this son of a gun exactly what he deserves. Well, people have talked about And Tommy about it. likes it anyway because he liked pretending he was the victim. Well, I was just going to ask you about that too because I heard Jay Caulfield say uh, words to the effect of that it was he was a um, unique personality or it was he was a different kind of personality. Like, <laughs> Douchebag. He didn't use that word or he didn't suggest that. He tried to talk around. But, like, do you think he was in on his own joke, so to speak? No, do you? I I mean, I I dealt with him so. No, no way. No way. Like, he he hated the media because there was that froggy, that fight that involved uh, him and uh, Peter Taglinetti down at the bar downtown, I think after one of the Stanley Cup uh, celebrations. Mm -hmm. Now, Now, he was vindicated in that, and so was Peter, okay? Like, nothing. Bad came of that, but he he resented how the media treated him after that. But then again, I read where somebody said that Ron Cook wrote that, that after the Froggies thing, Barrasso was never the same with the media. I dealt with him before the Froggies thing. He was a douchebag then, too. (laughs) So he wasn't made a victim by that. And I think, you know, we would have had these conversations about Bonds, too, if it weren't for the steroids thing. But Bonds' personality as... Rough as it was, his numbers were overwhelming, and you couldn't have kept him out. Like we were talking about before, Barrasso, his numbers in a lot of ways and his performance in a lot of ways is better than Vernon. If you're going to put Vernon in, you can't keep Barrasso out. And Bonds, you couldn't have kept out because of the raw stats. I dealt minimally with Barry Bonds. I, I, I would, I, I can't describe how much more I would trust oh, or want to something. deal with Barry Bonds in any situation <laughs> Then I would Trump. Exactly right. Then Tom Barrasso. That's Tim Benz. I'm Mark Madden. This is the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Bet now from anywhere. Bet now from anywhere. Bet now from anywhere. Where, where, where? Catch new episodes of Mark Madden Unfiltered every week. Available on the Bet Rivers Network. BetRivers.com. And wherever you find your podcasts.